I, uh, I have a real interest in the fact that obviously this is, this is great to turn our attention towards really good quality research um, in, in sort of an increasingly globalizing world. But I also have some ethical questions that I think arise from that fund because I think suddenly a lot of people are suddenly very interested in countries that they've never been interested in before. Um, and we also have obviously um, a changing EU funding situation being based in the, the UK. Um, so I think we might have some kind of Brexit issues coming in there as well, but I'm aware that another uh, event, another network event will be focusing on Brexit. Um, so if you're at conference and you have um, a kind of interest in or um, questions about how research funding is working, how international research collaboration is going to play out in the years to <coughs> come, um, do, do come along. Um, and the other thing to just flag up is that on the 8th of March, International Women's Day, uh, we're going to be having a network event um, in collaboration with um, a network that I also co-convene at Warwick called the Academic Mobilities and Immobilities Network, AMIN. Um, and that's um, specifically at Warwick, but we're bringing together this network, <coughs> network for an event on gender and academic mobility. Um, it will be held at the University of Warwick, which is in Coventry, um, about an hour and 20 minutes away from here on the train. Um, so uh, watch, watch, bless you. <laughs> I hope you're all okay. Um, there's going to be um, more coming out about that scene, but it's just to flag it up. There are a lot of events that happen on the 8th of March, so, um, but this one is uh, one to maybe think about Coventry. Okay, so um, just I just wanted to give a kind of brief introduction to why I wanted to hold this event today. Um, and I think the, the event emerged from a number of different factors. Um, I think particularly I'm interested in a sort of disjuncture that I think we're seeing uh, between um, the sort of practical circumstances and, of research and um, a research funding and uh, more sort of academic or philosophical questions of what counts as proper or authentic research. Um, and um, I think that um, um, it's, a, it's a disjuncture that is led by, you know, kind of tightened budgets um, in the higher education sector. Um, but it's also about uh, maybe ideas moving on about authenticity and what counts as proper research. Um, and it's, it's sort of coincidence, but on my way here this morning, I was reading an article by Louise Archer. Uh, called The New Neoliberal Subjects, Younger Academics' Construction of Professional Identity. And interestingly, one of her um, research participants was commenting on, um, on basically a kind of frustration with um, uh, sort of um, more senior academics' objections to the way the younger, uh, younger generation are conducting their research. And this uh, participant said, they are say, <coughs> Oh, nowadays you have to finish your PhD in four years, but in my day we used to take ten years because we would spend two years in the field doing proper ethnographic research. Not like you lot, you just go there for six months and come back and you produce left, right and centre. And I thought that was just a kind of perfect quote to sort of begin, begin the day because I think we're um, sort of between those two, two poles in the research, whatever research we, we design these days. Um, and I think people go to great lengths to reconcile um, the practical limitations on research with um, the, the more academic claims for authenticity. Um, and I was thinking a bit around the um, ESRC um, doctoral funding um, um, and the fact that um, 
that this funding um, limits the amount of paid work you can do. Um, you know, you're only allowed to do a certain, if you're a good full-time ESRC doctoral student, you're only allowed to do, I think, 10, 12 hours a week of paid work. Um, but on the other hand, there's very limited fieldwork funding. You know, so, for example, when I did my fieldwork in India, I think I received around £70 a week uh, to exist in Mumbai. Um, doesn't really work. Um, and, and I was thinking about how these, um, these uh, kind of scholarships are obviously responding to increased need for value for money in research funding. But at the same time, I'm talking to, to other kind of colleagues who have tried to do international uh, long-term research. They've come across um, things like, well, in order to actually stay for a bit longer in country, they've had to live in um, very kind of insecure, slightly risky environments um, in order to sort of eke out that, that funding bit. Um, and there seems to be almost an assumption that students will not be paying rent when they're still at home. Um, or will not be paying rent when they're away on fieldwork at home. It's almost as if there's a mobile student who can just jump up and land in another country and transfer all the kind of draws on their stipend over to that, that country. And I have real kind of concerns about comprom the compromises that students are making. And that is obviously only if you're funded. If you're not funded, then you have a whole other set of constraints on your, on your fieldwork. Um, and I think some of the compromises that are being made around the safety of doctoral researchers in that kind of context, uh, but also the kind of research principles that are potentially being compromised. Um, and we might see as well compromises around language proficiency if you're sort of expected to sort of gain a second language extremely quickly on very little money. Um, so th these are the sort of issues that made me think, I think we need to have a, a slightly kind of politically oriented event about international ethnographic fieldwork. Um, because I think um, I, I've been to several kind of presentations. Um, I, I attended a, a great workshop actually at the CESE conference in Glasgow earlier this year, where there was a workshop on ethnography. And a lot of the conversations were around what counts as long enough? You know, people are very worried, you know, how, how do we know if it's long enough for it to be a real ethnography? Apparently, there's a, a journal, I can't remember if it's Ethnography in Education. Uh, which actually stipulates that it has to be, I think, at least six months, is that right? Um, if it's not six months, it's not uh, an ethnography. Um, and um, thinking about living for six months in India on £70 a week, you know, it's not really feasible. So what do you do with that kind of situation? Um, so um, some of the sort of how long questions um, inevitably come up. Um, I think um, the, the sort of added lens that I wanted to bring to this was the international lens as well. Um, and, um, you know, I think generic research training quite often um, almost assumes that you'll be doing domestic fieldwork. Um, and obviously bringing in an international lens, whether that's because you have to deal with, an with a moving to a different context with the kind of visa restrictions, the language um, question, access gatekeepers, or whether it's because your, the university that you're um, based in is, is different from where your funding comes from. Um, you know, there are all kinds of different issues that come in once we bring in um, moving across borders and um, investigating borders that we're crossing. Um, so um, I felt it was quite important to bring that international ethnographic lens to the sort of SRHE um, remit, if you like, um, to, to really give us a chance to think about the kind of international research that we're all doing. So hence my, hence my choice of speakers. Um, so um, Lisa Lucas from the University of Bristol is going to um, start off and she's going to give a bit more 
as a kind of overview to ethnography because I'm aware that not all of you may be entirely familiar with what it is and anyway it's kind of a de debated space um, and um, based on some some work she's done before she's going to be talking about some of the kind of international issues around ethnography um, and then uh, following on from that we've got three different presentations um, that are slightly more sort of rooted in specific um, empirical studies. Um, so um, Adam Walton is going to be speaking about some of the, I think really what I talked about, <laughs> um, but in relation to his really interesting um, interplay between institutional and fieldwork circumstances, I would say. Um, and um, Maria Dumont Pereira, as she likes it to be said, um, from the University of Warwick, um, will be reflecting on her um, ethnographic work um, in and with Portugal, Portuguese academia. And finally, uh, Jessica Gagnon um, from the University of, of Portsmouth will be reflecting um, in on, on the autoethnographic lens. I really wanted to make sure that that lens was included today because I think in thinking about the different range of ethnographic approaches out there, um, I feel quite strongly that we need to be talking about autoethnography in a, in a sort of um, well, um, well theorised way, which I know you'll be doing. So. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm, I'm going to start off with, with Lisa. Um, I'm going to, um, we've got plenty of time for discussion, plenty of time for lunch. I'm going to chair uh, relatively um, strictly to make sure we don't eat into um, our rest times because I think it's very important that we have that time in a day. Um, so, um, Lisa, if there's anything else you'd like to, to say in the introduction, please go ahead. Um, I should say, very thankful to Lisa for coming because she's leaving for South Africa at around 4 o'clock in the morning. Um, so, thank you so much for uh, <laughs> making the, the trip to join us today.